Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. Oh, what'd you think? I don't know. It's kind of serious. Should we laugh? (laughs) (laughs) So we got a fun guest today. I first met... So Kevin Miller. Big hitter. This is fun. Kevin Miller is our guest. So Kevin runs three different podcasts. One of them is the Ziggler Show. So many of you will be familiar with that name. Zig Ziggler is, I mean, really one of the primary sales thought leaders. And one of the originals in terms of culture, personal development, like the way we treat other people. I mean, really introducing a lot of these soft skills and sales acumen to like a whole generation yeah. of business leaders. Yeah. And some of you have maybe gone to Ziegler conferences or workshops or all the things. So Kevin helped the Ziegler family. He knows he, he worked with Zig and his son, Tom, and really helped them bring their brand and their content to podcast format. It's just, a, it's, it's great. 52 million views or 50, plays. Yeah, 52 million. Across these three podcasts, most of those I think are from the the Ziggler, but now they've they've been so successful. He's created these other podcast shows. Anyway, just fascinating story. Started out as a professional cyclist, really grew a business out of that. It was operating businesses from a young age. So we cover kind of the gamut. This is an episode more about I think self awareness, personal growth. There's a lot of stuff I think we can all take away from this conversation. But I really appreciated. I really appreciated Kevin's candor and his transparency. Like we get into we get into marriage a little bit here. Yeah. We get into some of the emotional kind of ego space of being a leader and running businesses. We we cover a lot of ground here and it's really great. Um, it is. It is. And he's man, this is a guy that's been on big stages with big names. Like he is yeah. he, <laughs> he is in his own right a real big hitter and you wouldn't pick up on an ounce of that. Yeah, yeah. There's no there, there's no posturing, and but I mean, listen to his the, some of the people that he's interviewed, and presumably some of these he knows. In fact, he was talking about how some of these people he's actually maintained relationships with. I mean, Seth Godin, Charles Cook of Cook Enterprises, the Cook Brothers, Donald Miller, Howard Partridge, Guy Kawasaki, Hal Elrod, Cal Newport, Patrick Lencioni, one of our favorite business authors, Dave Ramsey, and of course he's actually interviewed Zig Ziglar, yeah, which is okay. just so. So cool. He's so cool. And you're going to see it in the show. He's just super humble and just really approachable and just wise. Yep. You know, a lot of years of experience doing the right stuff at the right time. Um, it's, it's fun. It's a fun show. Yeah. Enjoy. Let's do it. Well, Kevin, welcome to the show, man. I've been looking forward to this one. Thank you for being here. Man, I'm always honored. I mean, who doesn't like to talk about themselves, you know, and <laughs> share their ideas and have a good conversation with a couple awesome guys about things that matter. So it's a joy to be here. That's awesome, man. It's kind of a law of the universe. We all like to hear our own name yeah. and have people ask us questions. Yeah. You know, I was thinking back in preparation for this, like, how do we know each other? Because there ha- it had to feel a little bit like, who's this Chris Nordyke guy? How do I know this guy? I think John Berquist is our connecting point. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. I see his name on Strava. Uh, it'll come up and say, people you know, and it has his, it's not a face there, but a name. I think that's a guy I knew. He's obviously no longer with us here on the planet. But yeah, that may be, I mean, I've known you as, uh, I would say you're in my list of people, like the influencers, you know, and I see you and I see posts that you do and stuff, but it's so often, I don't know how you connected yeah. with people. And it's interesting, especially with Zoom, like what we're doing here, 
that I, I can go a long time and not remember if I've actually been with someone in the flesh, you know, because yeah, right. you feel face to face. So, well, but yeah, I was excited to really connect. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you and John connected through kind of the wild at heart community, like the John Eldridge, you guys were moving in the same circles. Yep. We had with, some mutual friends. I think it was John Dale who actually works with Ransom uh, Heart right. now. And then I got to know, I think John Burkwist came out to one of my events when he first started working with Saddleback Leather Company a long yeah. time ago as well. So yeah, lots of overlapping relationships. That's funny, man. Well, and then of course, once I get introduced to you, I was following you on the social. So your background is pretty eclectic. And I feel like I've been able to watch a little bit of it unfold. Your background as a professional cyclist. But then I guess the thing I latched onto and made me start watching on a more regular basis when you're building your own home. How many years ago was that? 10 years ago? 14. That's what I'm sitting in. Yeah. Right now. And it was a big deal. Yeah, yeah it was. And, and it was cool because you kind of live blogged it, so to speak. I remember when you built that mill outside and you were cutting trees from your own yard and building tables and all kinds of beams and posts and all that kind of stuff. So was, you were very much are a, a renaissance man of sorts. You know what? I'll accept that. But, uh, <laughs> or I should say, and as my good buddy Randy says, and not a but, and I had built a set of shelves before the house. So this was not something that I came into. And man, I had incredible people and I got to be a part of it. But yeah, my wife and I designed the house. I did, you know, did the general contracting and then I hired guys and then tried to work alongside them the best that I could. It was an incredible experience. It really was. Yeah. Well, I think where I wanted to lead off with our time today was we actually just, I literally wrote the show notes for a podcast we have coming up where we talk about, I was listening to Joe Rogan and he was talking about how kickboxers rarely make it in the MMA. I don't know if maybe you heard this episode, but he was talking to, I forget who he was talking to actually, but they were talking about why kickboxers don't make it in the MMA. And it's because they are experts at striking. They're at the top of their game. A lot of them come from Japan and very few of them make it big time in MMA because they don't have the ground game. They don't know how to wrestle and they don't know jujitsu. And very few of them get over that hurdle because it forces them to go from the very top of their game to being weak and unskilled. And have you ever done jujitsu? Okay. So I, I did jujitsu. There's a feeling of helplessness and you go in there as a fit person. And I imagine as a kickboxer, it's like going back to that helpless state of learning a brand new skill is really tough. Where I'm going with that is you went from being a sponsored professional mountain bike racer and at one point transitioned, you left that. You're no longer a professional mountain biker. And, and I'm just curious what that transition was like for you going from one skill set that you had highly developed and was a business and a source of income for you to transitioning out of that and eventually moving into media and the different businesses and roles that you have now. What was that like going from the top of your game into a new game? How was that transition for you? It's a good question, Chris. I grew up in a business home. My dad was self-employed, always has been. And that's what he's a fairly famous guy and known for being self-employed and leading people in that. So that's all I ever knew. Started my first business, worked with him and his businesses as a kid, and then started my own at 15, tinting windows on cars out of my dad's garage and or my parents' garage and was always involved in business. And even as I got into cycling, I was, and I was actually, I was a pro on the road. I was a road cyclist, but did elite mountain biking. And then today I'm known more for mountain biking because that's all I do is I don't do the road at all, but I was, I was a pro on the road. 
But even there, I always gravitated towards influencing people. And that sounds because I had something great to offer. And it wasn't so much that, but it was just wanting to, I like to talk about ideas. I like to build things. I like to grow things. I like to progress with people. And so I'm a pretty good communicator. And so I did a good job, I think, of gathering people around me. So I did that even in cycling. So by the time I left it, which was 2002, was my last full year racing. So I would have been 31 years old. And at that time, I owned the team. So I had a corporation. It's where I started my corporation. Matter of fact, it's still the same corporation I have today. We never changed the name. IRS still okay. has me down as, as Trinity Sports Group. I've done a, 100 DBAs, but it's all through that. But we own the team. I got the sponsorship for the team. I had an elite team. I had a huge club. We had a lot of influence in the region that we were in. I did a, a weekly newsletter that grew an audience and did a lot. We hosted the 2002 United States Cycling Federation National Championships. So shut wow. down Nashville, Tennessee at the time. It was big six-figure budget. So I was doing business and stuff. So when I left it and just continued on to business, that wasn't a big transition. But to what you said, my self-image was. That's who I was was a as a pro athlete and leaving that was probably the hardest part to finally cut ties and let it go because when I walked away I totally walked away I went I actually was still in cycling a little bit I went and did some consulting in Silicon Valley and we lived out there for a little while for a big cycling manufacturer and then I left it and it was gone and I walked away from it and I think because it was so much of my self-image that then I left, I really left and forgot about cycling for a long time. And even as you're saying, you know, your knowledge of me being a pro cyclist, a lot of people haven't known that for a couple decades. I don't feel like I did it decidedly, but you know, my therapist would probably say there's a there's a strong reason why I did. And it was because without my self-image attached to it, it was gone. And so my kids, my older or my younger kids don't know me as a They've never seen me in a race, whereas my older kids, they used to go to the races. So that was rebuilding, kind of figuring out my self-image was the big difference. Man, I see that with athletes, business people, whatnot. We get so wrapped up in what we do as to who we are. And that's no news. That's It's nothing brilliant for me to say that. A lot of people have said that, but I still see it so starkly true. Yeah. Do you feel like in that transition, did you almost say, okay, I want to do it this time differently? Like, did you set out on these new adventures? You've had many. Did you set out though with this kind of perspective of, I don't know if I want to get that bought in or tie my identity that closely to that work? Or was that really even on the front of your mind? Brandon, I wish I was self-aware enough to have had that thought. And I just wasn't. I mean, I've got a book coming out about drive. It's called yeah. What What Drives You coming out later or later this year. And I have had the fortune to always be driven, to always have something to look forward to. I've never had a day waking up where I wished I could just keep sleeping. I mean, I just that's a gift. I literally don't claim anything because it was a privilege. It was stuff I was handed. I have no claim to that. I'm just, I'm more and more grateful. However, part of my story and part of my book is I was driving, but I didn't know where the heck I was going. Yogi Berra is well oh, yeah. known for driving his players. They're going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And one of them finally says, man, you know, Yogi, you're lost. And he says, yeah, man, but we're making good time. And, uh, <laughs> I, I actually heard that from David Lee Roth, interestingly enough, <laughs> and had to go back and figure out who to give credit to. That was me. And so I didn't know where I was going always. And back to the self-image was so wrapped up in what I did and in 
influencing and leading people that twice I did consciously try to walk away from that. I didn't want to be a personality. I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't want the pressure. I didn't want to deal with the ego issues because I do deal with ego issues and that made it harder. So that has been an ongoing journey that I just turned 51. I feel like, and not really to my mid to late 40s, did I start that self-awareness? And now I'm sure I'll never, I don't expect to ever arrive. I think I got some good traction, but that's going to be a journey the rest of my life. And I can respect that. Yeah. I have to ask the question because I think it's fascinating that kind of the life path you've had. How in the world did you get connected to one of the most iconic sales figures in history? Like, what is the story of you connecting up with Zig Ziglar, the family, the Ziglar Show podcast? Like, how did that come about? So, my dad was born to parents. My dad's parents were born Amish. The whole deal, horse and buggy. No, that's his parents. Now, they didn't stay within that confine with that label, but they stayed within the culture, the religion, Mennonite and, and whatnot. So he grew up incredibly conservative. And to make a long story short, personal development, starting with uh, Dale Carnegie, that was his way out. He got a hold of that as a kid. You know, other kids are sneaking out girly magazines and he's listening to these 45s from that he's asked to hide because that's not cool with his culture and his family and whatnot. And so I grew up, so as a kid, I grew up hearing that stuff. And literally, I, we were living in California, living in Anaheim. I was six, seven years old. And when I'd get out of line, they'd send me out for an attitude adjustment. And I'd have to go listen to Zig Ziglar. I have every right to loathe that voice <laughs> and that, that guy. But it was I saw what it did for my dad. I grew up in personal development. He was always pursuing personal development, went to their seminars. I went to seminars and he would get us hooked up to help these guys sell products. So we're at an event, 30,000 people, and you got Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Ollie North and all these people. And he'd get us set back and we would help do product, which means we usually got to meet these people. And I struggled with the character of some of the people that I met when they were off stage and Zig stood out. And so it was always a bright light. Zig Ziglar was, it was a voice of reason and comfort in that. And then I think it was through my dad, I met Tom Ziglar and I had become a voice speaking to entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs and got the opportunity to speak for Ziglar, got to be friends with Tom. And again, you know, such a long story short, it was me talking with Tom and just asking some questions and concern about where's the brand, the legacy of Ziggler going to go after Zig died. And Tom literally was talking. I was, I was here at my house. I was upstairs. I remember it. And he said, man, will you work with us some? And so they brought me on as a consultant and I audited what was happening in the business. Not that I'm Mr. Super Businessman necessarily, but it was just to kind of help him and look at it. I am a good communicator. Branding and positioning is a care and concern and I think somewhat of an expertise. And I found the podcast that had been dormant. They were just putting Zig clips up and had been dormant for a year and a half, two years, and was still getting downloads. People still searched. And I was podcasting at the time and said, man, let's pick this up and bring it into a, a new culture and a new help the voice. That's where it started, kind of a labor of love and it grew from there. Wow. Gosh, and you're at 900, almost a thousand episodes. Did I see that number correctly? Let's see. With Ziggler, or something? Ziggler, I am at like nine, uh, we're about to hit 960, I think. Okay. Yeah. I had done 
about a hundred, I think, you know, podcasts before episodes before that. And now since then I've started a couple of episodes. So yeah, I'm well over a thousand. I've put in my 10,000 hours. Of course, that oh my gosh. You put, them, you could put them in doing really poorly, but I, I, <laughs> apparently I've done a couple of things. Okay. Kevin, do you ever feel like there's a, I mean, you grew up, as you said, in this self-help, self-development arena, literally from the earliest stages. Is there a dark side? to it? Like, did you ever experience something like you're like, this is negative. Like, this is something that we need to be aware of. Huge, Brandon. Yeah. It's why I walked away in some ways a couple times because I do struggle with the egos on the stage. I do struggle with the propensity to, if you have an area of expertise, you can so easily fall into that place of you've got expertise everywhere. Because once people trust you in one area, they'll listen to you in other areas. So it's a really addictive, I was going to say drug, you know, but propensity to go down. And I have struggled with that and struggled with people who on stage have good information. Then off stage, I saw some failings. But to that, Brandon, I, I was really judgmental too. And I've also come down off of that. Thought, well, if I can only listen to perfect people, I, I can't listen to anybody. Now, obviously, people have to have credibility. But now I do have a lot more grace with somebody who does have a platform. They do have good expertise to offer, good information to offer. Does not mean that they have everything figured out. And as I've had, you know, I think I'm getting close to 170 guests on my show, some of the biggest influencers we have. I realized that. And at first it was disappointing. And now I, again, found peace with that and, and therefore found peace with myself in that, that I do have to have credibility. I mean, you can't for any of us on a microphone or on a stage or writing a book or whatever, we got to have some credibility, but that can come from wisdom and having gone down a road, having experienced some things. It doesn't mean that we are the best in that yeah. category. And it doesn't mean we're the best everywhere. And yeah. man, I know some people who are rock stars in certain areas of their lives and they are train wrecks in others. And we want to think that it relates over and you expect some success to bleed over. But I mean, your question is big. Yeah, there is. And I am consistently grappling with it. And I care about it too, because I, in the role that I'm, I am, I've been privileged to be an influencer and a leader, but I also represent so many. So when I have them on my show, I feel like I got to vouch for these people a little bit or a lot of it. You know, I'm recommending them by proxy of having them on the show. Yeah. And so with what people see from them, that's going to bleed over to me. And I'm, I'm in the soup. The only way to stay safe is to stay off the microphone. And well, there you go. Yeah. It's interesting because now it's kind of come up a couple of times with you already. And it's just this idea of you even saying like, I wrestle with that ego component. What does that look like for you? Because I, in reality, like you're a big influencer, like you've had amazing guests, like your voice is being heard in big ways. But a lot of the folks listening to this show are, they're running businesses, they're running smaller companies, right? But their voice is God's voice in their worlds. So all of us are struggling with this in some way, shape, or form. But where does that come out with you? What are the things that you have to tackle to keep that in check? Again, man, I'm, I'm super sensitive to it because of my past. And always, I'm always grappling, again, that word with judgment. But I think we're in a time period. We were just talking about this recently. I, I was with a group of people about there's a cry to be authentic, right? We all, we've yeah. all heard that, especially the younger generation. They want authenticity which I dig. And I think that as an influencer, that time that you guys, I think, are old enough to have seen too, or if you are on stage, you're supposed to come off like you have figured it out. You have arrived. And I don't think people believe it now and they shouldn't. 
But how do you balance that being authentic and humble and all that with, again, having credibility? And, you know, speaking to Zig Ziglar, he's a guy who did it so well. He's my icon for doing that, for being so humble and being very opinionated and very strong in his viewpoints and strong in his leading. He didn't back down from what he felt like was truth to a degree, you know, for folks. And so I've literally been counseling people, other influencers. I coach other influencers a good bit and saying a way to do that, the way I like to tackle it is be very bold and upfront with what you're good at. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm good at. This is where I can help you. And this is where I can't. And you know, it sounds goofy. It's not like you want your bio to say, Hey, I'm Kevin and I'm really good with here, here, here. And I I really stink here. But to say it in the essence of, Hey, if this is you, I can help you. And maybe that just alone is enough. If this is you, I can help you. And by proxy of that, if it's, if you don't fit these things, then I can't though. I sometimes will go over here and say, and if this is you, I'm not your best fit, but I have a golden Rolodex and I'm happy to connect you with other people. And I would say that on inquiries for people seeking my input, let's say, whether that's coaching or you know guidance or, or whatever, I probably refer out close to 60, 70% of it to say, man, I'm, that's not an area that I'm skilled in. And what I'm also saying is, and I really just don't care to talk about that. You know, to go to, I'm not good at it. I don't care about it, man. He, but here's somebody who's a rock star in it. Go with them. And so I'll take who I'm really good at. So I tend to, to answer that question that way. You've got to be confident and be upfront with what you're good at and have the chops to, but then say, this is where I'm not the best over here. Or there's, or even to the fact that there's just people who are better. Period. Yeah, and yeah. this, I, I could, I could help you a little bit. I can give you some counsel there, but I'm not the best. This person right here is is a rock star, and I think honestly, my credibility goes up in doing that as opposed to trying to help in areas where even if I can offer some, it's just, it's just not what jazzes me, and that comes out. Yeah, I really respect that portion right there. Is just trying to find the confidence in identifying like this is the space that I'm good at, that I'm excited about, that that fires me up. And you know what? All these other categories, we're just, we're going to choose to stay away from it. And it's really hard. Just get that imposter syndrome. So it's like oh, anything that yeah. feels like, oh, well, that'll add value or I'll be able to show them that we're worthy of their time or whatever. It makes you want to chase every shiny object. So I really appreciate that. Just that clarity surrounding, no, nope, this is what I'm going to stick to. And I'm just going to continue to beat that same rhythm. I need to take that on advice. Yeah, it feels like there's uh, and, and I would... Yeah necessarily consider ourselves influencers or that word is just so loaded means different things to different people but there's a pressure to feel like to be everything to everyone i think when you break away from the corporate job or a a specific kind of single line business and you're doing this other type of thing with the podcast or or consulting or coaching is you you want to say yes to everybody that's certainly been a thing that we've wrestled with as well. Oh yeah, hands down. I got a question for you around this though. I think it's a good follow-up is you've had all these iconic leaders. You've had Charles Koch from the Koch brothers. You've had Donald Miller, Dan Pink, Patrick Lencioni, who's a favorite of ours. Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin. I mean, all of these people. How Elrod, by the way, I used to sell Cutco and I sold Cutco around the same time that Hal did. What an incredible guy. Incredible story. <laughs> the, the Miracle yeah. Morning. Yeah. Oh Henry Cloud. So you've, you've had Brian Buffini, like you've had all these iconic, really culture shapers, many of them. What have been the moments of truth for you on this journey where you've been personally impacted by something they said or that you observed in relationship with them? But as you've built relationships, big and small ones with presumably some of your guests, 
what have been those moments of truth for you that have actually changed you and have affected how you do life today? I like how you phrased the question. I will give props to Hal Elrod. I got connected with my literary agents through him. Uh, so I, I, have, I have special gratitude to Hal for that. It's really the people. I mean, everybody has a good message or they wouldn't be on the show. And everybody has big followings that I, you know, for the most part that I have on the show. The ones that stand out are the ones that just make me think differently about something, which is interesting because that was some primary counsel I was given in regards to crafting a best-selling book, which my book's not even out. We'll see if it is. But that was one of them is to not come off like you're the best. Like I have the best information on drive and motivation. I, I can't claim that. I mean, there's Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun a long time ago. And I think it's yeah. still true, but there's new flavors, new perspectives. But I got some counsel on the book writing that resonated with me because it was the answer to the question you're asking as far as guests on the show. And they said, help people think differently about something. It's when you take a topic and it doesn't mean you have to be contrarian. doesn't mean you have to come up with something. And I do see people go overboard at that. They're going for shock value and being contrarian, just trying to get attention. That's not legitimate to me. And yet have some other ones who really made me think different. Those are the ones that'll stand out. And sometimes I don't even know it until we do the show. Mm. I've read their book. I've looked at their stuff and I'm asking questions, man. I just like you guys, man, I I love that I'm paid to be a student. I'm paid to read somebody's awesome book and to go, okay, I got this question. Here it is. And, and, and I think other people do too. And, and apparently they have, it'll come out and take a guy like Ben Hardy. I'm a fan of Ben. Dr. Benjamin Hardy. So the first book that I had him on about was Willpower Doesn't Work. The title alone is interesting because willpower, I'm thinking, man, are you kidding? That's my jam right there. That's how you be a pro cyclist. You kill yourself and you, you don't quit and you don't back down. You give you know a, over 100%. So I was intrigued. And he's saying, and willpower is finite. We think of it as infinite, but here's the proof, experientially at least, that it's finite. This is why in the morning, it's not so hard generally to withstand the donuts. But if they're sitting in the cupboard at 10 a.m. when you're watching Netflix at night, your propensity to fall to that is something because you're, it's fine. And he, and he goes through that and it helped me think of it differently. It was awesome. And I, here I am talking about him again. And he did that in the next book with personality isn't permanent. Same thing. He said, man, the way that we look at personality, I don't think rings true. Those are the people that have stuck. Shanti Feldhahn, I talk about her constantly. She wrote a book called The 30-Day Kindness Challenge. And she took kindness and said, we think about kindness that if we, it's the right thing to do, right? It's altruistic. So I'm going to be kind to you guys. And because of that, hopefully you'll be kind to me. And that's kind of how we, we look at it. It's the right thing to do and I'll get it back. And she's saying, man, you're kind because me being kind to you, regardless of how you reciprocate or not, it just benefits me. It just makes me a happier person. Oh, I didn't think about it. Totally, totally different thought. So that's a message that I would love to give to people because I get about a book a day on average, uh, close to a book a day. Ah, you know, that's per business day, you know, five, six books a week from agencies, from authors. So many of them are really good stories. People did amazing things, but so seldom is there really something to think differently on that to really change, get my perspective and make me rethink something. And I think in this, you know, going back to what you guys said, we're in this arena of personal development, self-help. We often spout the same things and 
I so often don't see them taking root. And I find that we're, we've kind of confined it into a perspective that's really hard for people to digest. And I'm having mm-hmm. fun with my book on taking to task some perspectives that I think I'm not sharing something new in the need for having goals, you know, let's say, or, or being driven and having motives. But I think that it's, it's not, I even see it in my own family and my own kids who are a lot of my muse. It doesn't take root. We got to, let's talk about that. Now let's, let's look at it differently. That's mm. what stands out to me. Yeah. I love that. This drive piece, I'm getting more and more curious about it. Obviously, with a, a professional, elite level professional sports background, I think discipline and drive, a lot of us can make the assumptions that's certainly something that you've gained skills in. <laughs> but when you're kind of wrestling with this topic in preparation for this book, what's going on? What are those deep spaces where it's like, as you're wrestling with this, you're like, this is a new way to think about drive. Or maybe some of those things where people have put it in this category of, I want more of it. I don't have it. This person's just overflowing with it. Like, What's going on there, I guess? Just dissect that a little bit for us. Again, great question, Brandon. And it's there's two perspectives. One goes back to your question earlier about the dark side you know, of, of personal development and self-help. And this isn't fair. It's not a dark side. It's not fair, I don't feel like, but just like weight loss. Man, weight loss is out there. There's a constant demand. There's always new stuff. I mean, has it really changed that much, the dynamics of it? And yet there's such a demand and there's, you know, there's always something new out there. And yet here in America, we're fatter than ever. Okay. Just just to focus on, and we're unhealthier than ever. Yeah. I struggle some with my industry that I'm a provider in uh, of self-help that we're putting stuff out and putting stuff out. And are we seeing cultural change? Are we really seeing people make change? And this is part of my own continual burden, or am I just positive entertainment? Again, I continue to find some peace with that because if I'm not somewhat entertaining, nobody's going to listen. There does need to be a factor of interest and intrigue and whatnot, but are people changing? And I really even took that you know, to, to the point of your question, even to my own family and my own kids. And how do they, as my kids have gotten older and we're really talking about this stuff, I can't just spout it off. Yeah. They know me and I'm looking at them. And that is a, to one of the questions you asked earlier, that's another thing that keeps me really grounded, knowing that whatever meme I'm putting out there, whatever topic I'm talking about, whatever, I'm going to come home and sit down with five, 10 family members who know me. And I do live in a glass house in that way. So it literally frames how I phrase things. Can I make that claim or is that you know hypocritical? Or yeah. And you'll see that a lot in my shows and stuff of saying, hey, this is something that's really important. I think it's a truth. I really struggle with following it. Uh, mm. Let's talk about it. You know, Together, I'm on the path there as well. But are people changing? I mean, at the end of the day, are they really changing? Are we hearing this stuff and making change? Or again, does it just kind of make us feel good and fluff our feathers a little bit? And again, it's not fair because somebody can listen and not make a change for a decade and it keeps the fires burning and sometimes, and then finally it takes root. And yeah. I've been guilty of pressing people and even myself when they need their, they have their own process. Yeah. So with regard to drive, is it something that we all are just wired with a certain amount of native oh, drive yeah. or is it something you can cultivate? Are there practices that you've discovered or in your research you've uncovered that like ways we can cultivate to increase our internal drive? Yeah. That question that you're asking, Chris, I have cited as the Holy Grail question for a long time. And I have asked so many of my guests during a show, their thoughts on that. I remember asking Skip Pritchard. He's a guy has a book and a following 
And he has a story of growing up in a home where they brought his parents, brought in people off the streets to help. That was their ministry. And so he got to see people and he talked about that. Here's guy A and guy B look like twins as far as their upbringing, the bad story, the abuse, the neglect, the yada, yada, yada. Bring them into their home. And after so long, guy A changes his life, changes his life. And he goes on and he's the next success story. Other dude, no difference, man. He's there for a time, goes off. I ask him that question. So what? What was it? What'd you see in him? Man, I don't know. All those years, it's really hard. He kind of came back to some of them. You know, I felt like maybe the ones who progressed had more of a, uh, this is my paraphrasing, more of a prosperity mentality, not as much of a victim feeling as opposed to a, a scarcity. But then to answer your question with my book, am I coming out and claiming like, man, I found the formula a little and saying, can you cultivate it? And I see people because I've gotten to see guy A and guy B on my show or woman A, woman B on my show. And to see this person came from, it wasn't a real hard story. And here they are. This person came from a real hard story. And here they are in a similar place. And there seems to be, we all are influenced by the same factors, genetics, our upbringing, our environment after that, the, the culture that we're in and what we think we want, what the expectations are, those exist for all of that. And out of that then comes what we think we want and whether that's authentic or not. And I see the people that we would say are driven as people who have become aware of those things to some degree. Even with my drive, even though it's been errant sometimes, I did have a great privileged upbringing that helped me be at least fairly aware of my values, which that's at the core of everything. If I get to the bottom of my book and my concern, I want people to know what their values are and to commit to those because I think it's what makes the happiest people and, and the most productive people. But to do that is a big deal, to be aware of all the things that influence our values. So that is what my book goes through mm-hmm. is say, here's the influencers, here's what you need to become aware of, and here's then how you can come out with the opportunity to be driven. And I do back to my aspect of thinking differently about yeah. things. That is a primary piece of me pulling people to think differently because we do. And I'm, I feel very confident in this. We as a culture, myself, most people, we tend to think of gal A is driven, gal B is not. Like they got it genetically. I mm. don't know for whatever. So we don't know some reason they're driven and they're not. And I'm looking even at, again at my kids and going, that, they all have drive in them. And you look at every story and you see that. This person had uh, Ben Hardy again. He, I, he's the lead story in my book because his story is so that came out in one of my shows that he just said it in a sentence. And I made him come back on a show to talk about his own life story because he had nothing. No, he was talk about the least driven, the least prospects for any possible hope. And then it changed and it wasn't some big catalyst. It wasn't even a great story, which is why I used it as my first story because it's, it shows. That the going from you know not driven to driven, there's some things in there. Here's some ingredients, and it's not something. It's not a supernatural thing. You fell in a vat of chemicals and came out with superpowers. It makes a good story, but it's not the norm. And when we look at drive and what makes it up, and one person's driven, and we all have the ability for the drive in there. It's yeah. just putting the pieces together. And most people wait till it happens to them. And I think that you can happen to it. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to... Yeah, what's the... I'm curious about what the values piece is. How do our personal values play into that drive determination? 
what, what yeah. is that connection there for you? Is it about alignment? Like if I have a keen understanding of what my personal values are, is it that that propels me to align my actions with those things and that creates the drive? Like what is the values connection there? You, no, you said it well. Chris, you said it in some sense there. I mean, how I came into it was, I think, a gratitude for having values and how that did help keep me from going too far astray, but also just realizing that that's what I... And that's why it's fun talking with you guys. I mean, we wouldn't be here sitting and talking if you didn't... I mean, I, I researched you guys and saw you have values. You could be just doing your business and making a buck. You have values that go deeper than that. And you're trying to use the platforms that you have, the opportunities you have to influence people because, again, we could say because it's the right thing to do or because it's also just what makes us all feel best. It's what makes yeah. us happier. It's happiest to contribute. And you have that because of values. And then me... And so that's who, that's who I just enjoy talking with. And I remember... Man, years ago, I was actually with my brother, my brother Jared, talking and kind of commiserating and go, man, if somebody doesn't have values, I just, I don't enjoy talking with them. If you don't have values and don't have some specific viewpoints on life in general, I don't resonate with you much. And that got me further thinking on that. And then again, with my kids realizing what I want for them, what I want them to be joyful people, to be contributing people. Mm-hmm. That's going to come from knowing what they value and that's what I want for them. And that's really where the impetus to make the effort to write a book and have a platform and whatnot came from mm-hmm. is what I wanted for other people. But again, I'm going to keep playing with that, not just because altruistic have values and go save the world. And if you want to be happy, wake up with peace and be joyful, which I want you to be because then you're just more fun to be with. Know what your values are. And I'm almost, just to exaggerate the point, if we look at the key areas of life and you don't have any values, I'm a little bit offended, mm-hmm. which is a goofy thing to say. I'm saying that to exaggerate a point because I'm, I'm a very non-offendable person, but I'm just kind of disappointed. Like, yeah. Seriously, if you don't have a, a perspective on health and wellness and it's just not a thought to you, I just, I don't really understand that because it's what fuels my body that you know carries my brain and my mind and whatever, and you have no thoughts on that. I, can we talk about that? Can I help you maybe have some thoughts and some questions on that? And if you just don't care, I just we probably aren't going to connect well. Yeah. And and that's mm-hmm. even come out with coaching clients. I vet them now for values and passions because if they don't have that, I'm probably not going to be able to help them a whole lot. Oh, yeah, that almost goes back to what you were talking about. It's like I probably am not the best fit because it really just doesn't align with that space <laughs> that you feel most connected to, right? Yeah. Hey, here's a funny story on that. I had a lady who I took on long time ago when I needed the money. Took her on to coach. It's always been kind of a family game to ask people, guests, like, "What's your favorite meal?" Because we're we're big foodies. What's your favorite meal? And then to kind of play with toy with tease them with, we're going to judge you on this, which we actually do. <laughs> and, and this lady who I was not very effective in helping, she said her favorite meal, and she just didn't really have any answer. She said, I don't know, maybe pasta with some butter because my dad used to make it some before he left our family. And, stuff. and she was just so beaten down mm-hmm. that I was not a good fit to help her. She needed a therapist. But it was kind of an interesting analogy to where today I literally have at my website on a coaching intake form, one of the questions, I have a couple kind of filtering ones. And one of them is that, hey, so if it's a celebratory time, no consequences, whatever, what's your meal? And it really helps me to, to know, am I going to resonate with this person? Are they a passionate type of person? Even that word, a passionate person, I, that's who I'm going to resonate with. If they're yeah. not, we're probably just not going to gel well. Yeah. So let's do us a favor mm-hmm. and get that on the table now. Yeah, I, I can so appreciate that because I think Chris and I often 
in our just our exchanges and what we do professionally, you run into those folks that are just so utilitarian in nature. Like yeah. it's just it's is it a yes no? Does it work? Does it not work? Right? Like just very very utilitarian. And for Chris and I, those are hard relationships for us to really bond and connect with. And so we would have to say to ourselves, like, I don't think we're going to be a good fit because so much of what we try to bring is based on this passion, on these things that we're excited about, the whole person, right? Getting underneath the surface and really wrestling with all these things that affect our business, not just the P&L, not just shifts and things like that. So anyways, I just can connect with that. And it's like, okay, if if someone performing at this level prioritizes that, it just makes me feel better about, okay, we need to hold true to that and just understand we're going to have people we relate to because of their passion levels. And then we're going to, there's folks that we just won't, and that's okay. Like yeah. we, hey, we need to yeah, be confident. Yeah. In that. And, there, and there's, and for that person who's utilitarian, man, there's a group that fits them or a person that fits them so well. Yeah. That's a great point. I want to take a turn. I want to get your perspective on something that Brandon and I've been reflecting on. We recently, posted an episode on our podcast about anger. And it was a dialogue between Brandon and I just about our own experience with anger and how we've seen it affect our work and in our personal relationships. Anger is an interesting topic, right? Because I think it's a universal emotion and yet we don't really talk a lot about it. And so I'm curious if you're willing, what makes you angry? Let me, let me ask you a question just to clarify that. So you guys came to this topic, which I actually saw on Facebook or somewhere where you posted it, came to it as you were considering it in yourselves? Like this yeah. is a conversation you guys are having or, or, or you're seeing it in the culture and employees? Oh, yeah. Both. You know, it's interesting. We're, our space is the blue collar, the trades, the service industry, right? So we're in disaster restoration, construction, kind of that whole paradigm. And it's a paradigm that, for all of its history, really, it's been a command and control kind of culture, leadership environment. And that's changing. You know, it's shifting. I think that's shifting in all industries, right? But with the instigator for this recent conversation about it was just noticing anger in some of the clients, colleagues, just noticing how it comes out. Yeah. In sure. our set. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly. I mean, that's, that's where the podcast went, was really spotlighting how we've experienced anger and how we deal with it. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's an observation of just, I think it's a part of culture. I think it's a part of business culture. But I mean, Steve Jobs is an example. Okay, Steve, an icon, a creative leadership icon, right? And part of his archetype or part of his persona is the angry, recklessly angry executive, Yeah. yeah. right? We have all these examples of anger in the workplace, but we don't really spend much time actually talking about the impact and the toxic residue of anger. And so anyway, that just prompted Brandon and I, and I think it's something that I think as a business community, we would do well to maybe reflect on more. So that's the setup. Is, yeah. What does anger look like for you? And then I've got yeah. some follow-up questions, but what makes you angry? Where do you find yourself going to anger? Yeah, man, that's a that's such a huge topic. And if I was to say just the the emotion of anger, just the natural emotion of anger, where do I experience it most? Through where have I? It's at myself. I get the worst brunt of my emotion of anger is at myself for not measuring up to my own expectations, which are completely unreasonable. So you're hearing this thing. Anything I just said and, and will is stuff that I have, I'm probably repeating messages from 
man, people I've read and am reading. I keep looking over here. I've got a bookshelf. This is my my personal home bookshelf over on my left here. And counselors and so many wise people on anger. And, you know, so from my own standpoint, I think from the cultural standpoint, you know, the anger and yeah, I've just got to give credit to other people. So I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts, but it, it, this is, I'm a, I'm a messenger here of what I've been being taught. It's such an easy one to go to. And underneath that are the real emotions often. Oh, yeah. And for me, it's hurt, uh, which I don't even associate. I feel like I would say, no, I do. I'm never offended. I'm never hurt. And I've had good counseling to show me that, yes, I have. I just perceive it as anger, frustration, whatnot. I'm very stoic. I, I don't get my feathers ruffled for the most part. My wife would say it different because she can. It, honestly, though, in all seriousness, the other area where most anger is my relationship with my wife because she is the one person that I give power to. I don't really any any other people. So I don't. Well, cops. Cops pull me over for my latest driving infraction. I get angry. Um, um, presumably, she knows you better than anybody else as well, she right? Does, she does. And to a degree of unhealth, I am more needy from her. And she has the ability to, or I give her the ability to, to hurt me. And then that comes out as anger. So when she says something and, and I feel, again, I'm, I'm this, my counselor will be smiling right now. And I feel humiliated. That's a big buzzword yeah. that I, I haven't mm. touched. Never spoken that or thought that word until a few months ago. And it, when mm. I did in a, in a book that I was, my counselor has me reading, I, oh my gosh, that's it. And my wife can say something. I feel humiliated, humiliated and I am angry, but it's really, I'm hurt. Mm. I am hurt. If I knew how to cry anymore, I, I would. And what a buzzword is. So it comes out there. But again, this is such a big topic. The other side too, that I thought of when you were given a little background on it is I could be tempted to say that a lot of what I do vocationally and even, you know, here as we're talking as a, you know, to use that word as a leader influencer, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, somebody that, that I'm privileged to have some people who, who look to me for some guidance is that I get angry with the culture and I get angry with the flow of the culture that I see people succumbing to and submitting to and blindly following but I don't really anymore, I don't think of it as anger as much as I, I call it a burden. I think about burden a lot. We talk so much about passions, you know, do what you're passionate about, which I, I get that. And I, every day I'm going to do some things that I'm passionate about, but it may be going for a bike ride and that's a passion. My work, I'm maybe thinking more of, I'm speaking to a burden that I see here that I want to help somebody or somebody's mm-hmm. with. And so mm-hmm. is that an anger. I mean, I do. I do see some things happening out there, but it's hard to be angry without blame. And I just I find myself with less and less blame. Even we look out here at the culture yeah. and look at the marketplace and things going in a bad direction. You know, like people are, oh, take Facebook. I was talking to somebody about Facebook who was complaining about it yesterday. And I thought, I mean, I get that. But from day one, Facebook existed to make a buck. I've not been privy to, and I'm not trying to defend Facebook at all. But I've not heard them say, you know what? We are next to Gandhi and Mother Teresa and our efforts to serve humanity. I haven't seen that. I don't think that's in the corporate documents. I mean, the people who invest in Facebook want them to make a buck and they do that by getting our attention. So they're just doing what they say they're supposed to do. And if I don't like what they do, how they do it and what information of mine they're sharing, then get off. And I say that kind of flippantly, but it is somewhat true. And the stuff that we're complaining about, we're generally voluntarily participating in to a great degree. So without me having full blame there, I don't get super angry, but I am burdened 
by what I see happening out there that my kids are prone to you know the possibility of succumbing to and they're part of this culture and so we speak mm-hmm. to that and it it burdens me so I would put that in the anger realm is the flow of the culture and where it's taking people and where our health and wellness stats are mental health stats and we could talk about that the rest of the day all right let's take a minute to recognize and thank our Mit Resto Mastery sponsor, Accelerate Restoration Software. And I'm fully aware, by the way, that when I say those last two words, restoration software, that that instantly creates heartburn for some of you out there, right? Because we probably all fall into one of two camps when it comes to software. We've either cobbled together kind of a version of free website tools and spreadsheets just to make our business work, or we're in the camp where we've adopted one of these existing restoration platforms, you know, one that has all the bells and whistles and supposedly does it all, but we can't get our team to consistently adopt it and input information to it. Yeah, and that's really where Accelerate has honed their focus. They've created a system that's simple, right? It's intuitive. And it focuses on the most mission-critical information, i.e., guys, your team will actually use it. Let's talk about sales, right? After years of leading sales and marketing teams, the biggest trick is getting them to consistently update notes about their interactions with referral partners and clients. And the essential piece there is there's got to be a mobile app experience. And in our experience, the solutions that were previously out there were just too cumbersome and and tricky to use. Yeah. Imagine, guys, how your business would change if your entire team was actually consistently using the system. Do yourself a favor. Go check these guys out at xlrestorationsoftware.com forward slash MRM and check out the special offers they're providing to MRM listeners. All right. Let's talk about actionable insights. Owners, GMs, you can't be your business's expert on all things estimating. You might have been three years ago when you were writing sheets in the field, but the industry is always changing, and so are the tools. If you're the smartest person in the room when it comes to Xactimate and Matterport, how does that scale? You're the bottleneck. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but this is where Actionable Insights comes in. They're a technical partner that can equip your team with the latest bleeding edge information and best practices, and then update them with webinars and training resources when the game inevitably changes again. For this reason, we recommend Actual Insights to all of our clients. Yeah, three of the kind of big things that stuck out to me when being introduced to to AI and their team. First off is this consistently updated training. I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are the experts. They're out front all the time. They're constantly learning new trade secrets and ensuring that your team's got access to those things a 3,700 plus page database of Xactimate templates. I don't know what else to say here other than don't reinvent the wheel. It's already available. Download it, copy it, use it, bam. Database of commonly missed items. I think this is huge. So many of us can change the numbers by just moving the needle a couple points and those commonly missed items can make all the difference in the world. So go check them out at value.getinsights.org backslash FCG. I really appreciate your honesty. It's part of me that really wants to go back to what you said about your marriage. Are you okay with that? Yeah. (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you one thing that drives Brandon and I is the value of letting people know that they're not alone. 
I think that's one of our drives in tackling subjects like anger and some of the other things that we touch on our podcast is it's something that all of us feel, but we don't necessarily feel licensed to talk about it. And so when we don't talk about these things, right, we can feel really isolated. I think it's a really common feeling for business owners in particular because they spend most of their working life in some form investing their energy into their people. And there's, it can be a real isolated feeling. So I appreciate you being really honest uh, about your experience and the counseling that you've undertook because there's a lot of people out there that struggle with anger, they're struggling in their marriage, and they feel like their unique experience is just that. They're alone in it. And so when we talk about this stuff, I think there's a lot of... It's encouraging to me actually to hear that, oh, wow, you have struggles with, with your marriage. Even I find myself encouraged by that. What does that look like and sound like? How does that cycle you describe with your wife... What are some of the triggers and how do you move through that or out of that? What have you learned with the counseling stuff you've been doing? Man, the, the triggers first and then what, what do you do? Again, back to, you know, I talked before about cycling being a part of my identity. My mm-hmm. marriage has been a part of my, my identity. My being a father too, you know, we have a big family, a lot of kids has been a part of that. And then, you know, again, when you've got an area of expertise, you're kind of expected to have that everywhere. And then the crap hits the fan. Uh, somewhere. And you can either, I see a lot of people go south with that and go, well, I'm just, I just feel discredited completely. So I have nothing to offer anybody. I'm gone. And we discount ourselves completely. And back to, yeah, we're overlapping a lot back to the grace that I'm finding for people to have areas of expertise. But I, you know, when I look at marriage and the institution of marriage, and I came to it from a very structured faith-based perspective, religious, you know, perspective, and I, I will also with a lot of arrogance. And that was just part of who I embraced for myself is a lot of arrogance and overconfidence and uncoachability. And I did that in my marriage. And we've been, we're at about 28 years now. Wow. And all of a sudden finding that we're, we're almost like a burnout to mm-hmm. some of the dysfunction mm-hmm. and the codependence. And I had this, you're asking at an interesting time. I had a perspective. I think I was on a bike ride weeks ago of codependent of how, what my wife and I did and coming together. We came together, not whole, not real aware. Not like you can, again, can't, if, if, if only perfect people can come together and get married, nobody can, but <laughs> right. we came together to really support some needs that we had that we shouldn't have been looking at towards each other. And so I had this oh, perspective man. of instead of it was, Oh no, I'll tell you what tipped it off. It was a Zig Ziglar message. I was, so I was prepping a show and taking a clip from him and he's talking about the stat that he's just referencing of, you know, one horse can pull, I'm totally making the, uh, you'll get the concept, but I don't know the numbers. One horse can pull a thousand pounds. I don't know. Two horses can pull 2,500 pounds. Three horses can pull 10,000 pounds. It's just exponential. So it's that, that's the concept there. And it's acute because I've got adult kids who are marrying and whatnot that I want them to come together fully standing on their own two feet mm-hmm. between them and God and then come together with that spouse and together, what can they do together? As opposed to what I think my wife and I did, and I think a lot of people do, we kind of came together. It's kind of one of those three-legged races, you know, where you oh, both yeah. put one leg in the burlap sack and then you're walking along and it's pretty dysfunctional and very inefficient. And we did that. And even though we felt like we were focusing on our marriage because we spent a lot of time together and, and, and a lot of relationship focus. We were pretty much just trying to pull things together, pull the family, pull the businesses, go do things, save the world, adopt kids. We, you know, we've done everything and not really looking at each other. And you get to a point 
of in ill health, and I would even say some immaturity, if you don't change things and audit them ahead of time, then you wait for the pain to hit and either you fail or then you try to fix things then and it's, it's harder then. And we waited for pain to hit. And I've done that. I did that in a couple areas of my life, my marriage. And again, back to my self-image in that kind of the Superman role. I'm Kevin. I fix everything. I'm limitless, no excuses, which is great as a professional cyclist. It was awesome. That's what yeah. got me on the podium. I took that into every other arena. And, and, and yeah, I could say it works in business to some degree too, but relationships, not so well. And I, it didn't work with, with my relationship with myself. And then it mm-hmm. didn't work with my relationship with my wife. It didn't work with my relationship with my kids. And so I've been unpacking some of that for years now, starting with myself, then my kids, and then my marriage. And so now here we are growing individually and going, okay, we've got to come together. We're, we're different people and figuring ourselves out. Now we got to come together and figure out a different relationship. That's it's hard to do after 28 years, but it's doable. Yeah, I can respect that. Oh, man. My wife and I just hit 25 years. And you know, man, I wear it proudly. That's a badge of honor. I think when folks have worked through what it takes to get to that many years of marriage and still have enjoyment and hope for the future of that relationship, right? It's a... Uh, well, thanks for the caveat. And, <laughs> yeah. and still, but seriously, because and still have, you know, joy and whatever, because I was privy to a celebration of a very long-term marriage. And I struggled with it because they were good at endurance. They'd been good cyclists. They endured a lot of years of misery together. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, it was hard for me to celebrate that as opposed to what you said, to have that time and still have enjoyment. That's the caveat because especially coming from the you know religious structure that I have, there's a lot of people that stuck together for that and they stuck together in misery. And, and I finally realized, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of kudos just for the commitment because committing to something, and that's not hard for yeah. me. If, 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 if the goal is exercise every single day and only eat XYZ, I've proven that I can do that. I don't enjoy it. doesn't make Kevin a happy guy. Yeah. I'm better if I have permission to you know, ebb and flow and I find more peace and joy. And as I've given myself more permission to not, you know, exercise, for instance, I don't even think about it as exercise now. It's playtime and mm. I keep setting PRs. It's mm. interesting to watch and consider. Yeah, that might be a whole nother book, my friend. We, that, <laughs> we may be waiting for that to come out too. Yeah, right. There's kinda... so many books. I need every, you guys write it. I, I, I have the ideas so often and, and they're better served for other people to write those things. Kevin, I, again, I appreciate you sharing about this marriage piece because I, I just think so many of us are in... Inevitably, I think all of us go through that stage of life. My wife and I are coming up on 20 years in March and I really relate to what you're saying. So I have a hypothesis and I want to see if this matches your experience. Wow. I think as business owners, many of us, we have all these points of affirmation. And I imagine this was true when you were cycling as well. We have these external points of affirmation, people telling us we're awesome. If you're standing at the top of the podium... You know you're awesome at cycling. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy for that to become the identity of, I'm a really smart business person. My customers like me. right? I have billboards up on the highway. I have trucks with my name on them running around you know, Timbuktu. People respect me and think I'm successful. And now, of course, all people are really seeing is what we're allowing them to see. Yeah. But we get that praise. Then we go home to our spouse who knows us better than anybody. And at times, they're not impressed. <laughs> yeah. They're not impressed. So we have all these points of affirmation, people that do what we tell them to do, that employees that work for us and customers that love us, all that kind of stuff. Then we go home to our spouse and they're not necessarily impressed. 
with what we're bringing as a husband or as a father or whatever. And there's that moment of embarrassment or shame or humiliation. I don't know what happens, but for me, that was a real serious anger cycle for me. And I felt like I was hearing some of that dynamic, right? Where it's this conflict of who everybody else says I am. And this question, am I I everything that people have me cracked up to be? And then the spouse has the real answer, which is, you know what? Yeah, I could use a little more help around the house. Or you know what? I'm not as impressed with you. Yeah. Well, I may go a a little tad different direction because what you're talking about is huge. But it was also, when we're back to the beginning of the interview here of talking about my own struggles with the egos and the people on stage who are you know lauded for this expertise and they made a million bucks and yet that I'm seeing the background scenes and seeing you know some issues character issues and relationship issues that I was very judgmental about and some of that may be valid or whatnot but to your specific thing what happened as a result of that is I was hyper aware of that and hyper aware of going out here and winning the race or making money or doing whatever. And then it not lining up at home. And again, I was, so I was super sensitive, really judgmental. And so I took a dramatic amount of pressure home and literally said this as a statement to my wife and to some other people of, Hey, I don't care what some dude's done success wise, you want to show me the measure of him is show me his relationship and the status of his, of his wife in essence and his family. Mm. Okay. But hold on there because what that did for me though, it put way more pressure than I was capable of. And I felt responsible. Now I'm responsible for making sure my wife is ecstatic with me, Mm. with life, that my kids are doing great because I'm not going to be the guy up on stage if it doesn't show up on home. And so I may, I took on the role of responsibility for their behavior, their success, mm. their outcomes, which is impossible. And I reached a point, literally, I, I, it was an acute moment in life right out there in my driveway where I came to my end and I can't, and now, and we know anybody who's you know been in psychology, I mean, can you be responsible for somebody else's behavior? No, it's a death knell. Oh my gosh. So I took this issue that you just brought up and took that home and the pressure that I put on for everything to be okay and to be successful at home. And, and not that we haven't had, you know, some successes at, at home and successes in our relationship, but man, that really changed my paradigm too. looking at, and that's not feasible. And also experiencing some people, men and women who had success in different areas of life and had struggles in their relationship and realized, man, I can't just pin all that on them. I've had men and women whose spouses literally just went south. I mean, they just went off the reservation and I'm not, and so I'm going to blame them and discredit their success. You hear, I, I did that with, I'm not going to name the person because it would be, but a big name person whose marriage was a big focal point of their platform. And then they had a big failing. I could not have judged them more harshly. And I'm glad I didn't speak out about them publicly because I would need to go publicly apologize. Maybe I should still anyways too, because that wasn't fair. It just... Mm. It wasn't fair. Now, you know, again, there's a tension in there because when you see the person who's up on stage, especially if they're espousing relationship stuff like that, and over here they're having, you know, an affair a day, I mean, you know, come on, there's a balance there. Man, I've took that issue that you brought up there, Chris, was really aware of it and took it in a very unhealthy direction mm. as well and had, again, expectations that weren't, um, took on responsibilities I had no, no business taking on. That's fair and really honest. Yeah, you're in, we're in deep water now. I, I know, know, you know. Man, we, I love it. 
took you into the deep end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it's it's real, man. And, and you know, here we. That's why I don't do a ton of business development in and of itself talk on my shows because you know, at the end of the day, we're doing it all. But what we care about most is this, and yeah. this is what's and this is what's affecting this. So if I was having, you know, if we we're having coffee or dinner or every Friday, I meet with a group of guys, and kind of the focal point is, okay, man, what's paramount right now? And it may be a business deal. It yeah. may be a business issue. I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe less than half the time do we actually talk about something there. Most of the time it's parenting, marriage, health, self-image. Um, I'm in a Christian men's, I'm part of a, a group of, of some big name influencers. It's kind of a private group. They get together once a week via Zoom or whatnot. And it's supposed to be about business. And I, again, half the time or more, it ends up being, they're talking about the issues in their marriage, parenting, and health. And those yeah. are paramount because it's because, and they're getting so acute with some of these guys. Again, these are Christian successful businessmen. Some of those areas are so acute. Their business is that close to being wrecked. Wow. Yeah. No, uh, you know, it's yeah. interesting. I, again, we, we said about this, this early, we, we want to be really cautious of your time, Kevin. We really appreciate good, you man. hanging with us. So, you know, and I have to just say, I love it when guys like you, and you've been so humble. I think we just looked at a count a couple minutes before we got on the show with you, and you're at like 52 million downloads. So when you, I think a couple times you said, I have a couple people that listen to me. So just for context, for those listening to the show, 52 million and counting is pretty impressive. So I want to say I appreciate your voice though, Kevin, because it's not the polish. It's not the show. There's a ton of humility in it. There's a ton of real perspective in it. And it is missional in nature. You can hear it. I've caught your shows. We've listened to content that you've created in partnership with Tom. And there is a lot of depth. Chris and I make this joke commonly that how often we see that duck on the surface of the water, right? And everything yeah. just looks chill. Everything's very smooth. And underneath the surface, those feet are just going. And so... I appreciate your willingness to go there, your honesty, your humility in that as you talk about your real struggles. You just continue to be at the top of your game. So I think it's it's yeah. important for all of us to hear that balance of humility and, and just being real with these things because they change our lives when we're honest about it and we can be aware uh, Man, of their totally, impact. You know, yeah. Totally. And I, I appreciate that. And to what you talked about, Chris, and being isolated in our businesses, that's always been a I've seen that as a, a death sentence for so many, I'm going to say guys. I, I mean, I, I hang out with guys, you know, for the most part and businessmen more so than women. So there's my context and to see them and when there's no accountability, it's so devastating. And so I have sought that and I've created a life where, yeah, I mean, I do these shows and I've got kids, I've got my adult kids. I got some of them who listen to every show and I've got my daughter, I've got one of my daughters who does produce or does some of the production and post all my social media. I, I literally gave her a quote the other day and she says, you didn't say that. <laughs> I really think I did. She said, no way. I've, said, I've heard that before. Okay. Let's go search it. You know? And so <laughs> oh, about, man. yeah, yeah. Talk about being in a glass house. And so to hear you guys ask me a question about marriage, well, what am I going to do? Cause somebody who knows me is going to hear, and I've got enough people in my life who thank goodness, who know the reality. So to call yeah. to my own authenticity is high. And I think it's such a great, it's such yeah. a great thing. I appreciate that glass house aspect of our culture with social media, 
And I hope that people, I feel, I keep calling people more and more to, to relationships and, mm. and groups and, and being in cahoots with people because it's so beneficial and it helps us confront our realities. Yeah, man. So true. Okay. So I want to wrap up with just making sure we did a, a solid introduction to the work that you do so that people can connect to you. Because I really wanted to introduce you to our industry. And I think one of the things that kind of triggered that for me was I've been watching you over the last six months. And I don't know if this matches up with just something you're specifically feeling like you're in a certain season, but I've just, I feel like I've been watching you evolve mm. in a special new way over the last six months. I've, you know, I think some of the questions or posts you've done about your faith have seemed uh-huh. like they're kind of evolving to a degree. I feel like you've assumed a very curious posture more so in the last six mm. months of just having followed you. And I really appreciate that. And it's very motivation. It's inspiring for me when I watch other people really shifting gears, moving in new directions, asking new questions and stuff like that. So thank you for that. How can people follow you? And what can they get from some of your different podcasts that you do and the product you're putting out? Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thank you for all that. I like that. I wrote that down. Curious posture. I want that. And yeah, I have. I've Again, we could do another show just on that. And it's, man, I have not done away with, you know, go back to values. Yeah. My values are still there. How I see them, I've confined a lot of those. And mm-hmm. so I'm having fun talking with people on the microphone, in my members community, in my small groups, and my home, and deconstructing some of the confines of those values Still holding true to the values, but let's look at them in a broader way that serves people better. And now we're back to the burden, I feel. And I think we put a lot of our of the values that, that are true in confines that aren't working for people, aren't working in the current culture. And so thank mm. you. I like that curious posture. I may use that as well. Most everything I've got at this point, I've tried to put at kevinmiller.co is my website. So the shows kind of live there social media. So that's the easy one. So from a podcast, as people listen, call to action and, and place to go, it's kevinmiller.co. But it's the same thing. If you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and just type in Kevin Miller, you'll find I have three podcasts right there, though I'll, I'll, I'll say as I don't know when this is going to publish, but we're in talks right now about combining them all into one show, literally. So I, I, it's not a definite, it's a probability, but either way, it'll still be under my name. So Kevin Miller will get you there, which that's hard fought because that's a generic name. There's a word to the wise. <laughs> if you want a kid to stand out and have a chance out there, give them a name that actually is a little bit different. It's, it's hard to uh, take a generic name and uh, you can't even buy the website anymore so well, you could you could be like a rapper and just give yourself a new name you know <laughs> that, that would but my kids have played with that uh for sure. <laughs> it's always an option you know it's always an uh, maybe so we, we it's funny we did make an effort to uh, we don't have crazy kid names but some that are a little, a little different enough to where yeah maybe they can buy their website someday or you can find them <laughs> if you search for them <laughs> that's not funny yeah well, Kevin, man, this has been really great. And I know you're single dad in it because uh, your wife's working on a project and you got sick kids at home. Thank you for making time with us and be excited to just watch and continue to uh, enjoy your work. It's been a gift. Literally great to connect with you guys. And thanks for the honor of posing the questions and having the conversation. I I feel like sometimes I learn as much or more when I'm being asked these questions as when I'm asking others 
questions and you make me think of stuff, man. So thanks. This was, this was, uh, this is therapy. So I appreciate it. Hey, now, oh, we'll take that. All right. Yeah. Same here. Invoice man. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Head, Heart and Boots. And if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.